Welcome to Parenting Teens with Dr. Cam, a podcast about navigating adolescence without losing our minds. Each week, I guide you around the teenage landmines with practical tips, simple solutions, and words of encouragement. I'm your host, Dr. Cam. Let's get on with the show. and friend, Allie Payne. <laughs> Growing up, Allie was the smart, fun girl on the outside and a frantic, anxious mess on the inside. She spent years healing the pain of dysfunctional family relationships, including eating disorders and a suicide attempt to break the cycle, raising her own teen boys. Her passion is empowering parents to build healthy, respectful relationships with their teens without giving up or giving in, even if they've tried everything and at, are at their wits' ends. And Allie, thank you for joining me all the way from a campground in Canada. You are welcome. <laughs> so I'm awesome. bringing you that little slice of nature in your morning. <sighs> So needed, so needed. So, <laughs> so Ali, your story, I think, is just very compelling because you were that teen. You still tap into that teen that really struggled. You had all of these things that I think a lot of teens are experiencing now. So tell us a little bit more on how you got focused on parenting and helping parents with teenagers in particular. Oh, boy, that was divine intervention, really. Um, I, I went to school, my parents chose my career, because in their mind, I was horribly lazy. And if I took a gap year, I was never going to go back, get a blue collar job and apparently live under a bridge homeless somewhere. So they chose my career for me, um, which was entirely separate to this was actually in medical electronics. And but through that process, I was spending time with patients a lot and I was uh, all, I had to empower patients and I got to empower patients and I was actually on call 24 seven. And so I realized how much I loved helping, empowering people and how powerful, not just knowledge, not just education, confidence. Mm. Oh, that, that trailer's leaving early. Um, Self-esteem, um, how important that was that people believe in themselves that led me to um, start pursuing, I was in personal development actually for 10 years before I even started my life coach training. And in my life coach training, it became so wholly clear to me. And um, I actually heard a voice in my head, loud as just you and I talking, sitting in my first life coach training class, and it said, you are home. And I thought, yeah, yes, I've never felt so engaged in something in my whole body in my life. Mm. But then... Two years later, I went into my, or actually a year later, I started my relationship systems coach training and I had another vision. It wasn't a voice. It was a vision. And it was that, it was that, that life, it was a how a picture of a house and the life coach training I had just done was the foundation. And the, the message was, this is the house. That was the foundation. This is the house you will build. And that, that became, and I knew the moment that I was in there that I needed to take what I was learning about how to untangle, how, how toxic and, and generational relationships got so messy and, and set up, but then how to untangle them and how to heal from them. I knew I had to spend the rest of my life sharing this with parents like us and also advocating for teens because I was that teen. And that was 14 years ago. Wow. 
That's amazing. And so tell us a little bit too about, you know, you say you were that teen. What does that mean? Mm-hmm. What, what were you as a teen? Oof. I was angry. Mm. Ooh, I was angry. Um, I was way too smart for my own good. I had a lot of energy, too much energy. And I was creative. <laughs> so I got into a lot of trouble. Um, and I was I'm bold. And I'm a bit of a mouthpiece. And mm-hmm. um, as a teenager, that was really, really destructive when I was so angry. Um, I come from generational trauma. Uh, my parents are not evil. They are not bad. They did what they knew. And let me tell you, what I got was a lot better than what they had. Mm-hmm. And so um, I knew inherently... I, so I'm an empath. I believe I'm also an HSP, a highly sensitive person, mm-hmm. which is unusual, I think, as an extrovert, but I think I am. Um, and I knew what I was growing up in was wrong. I, I knew. I knew at six years old, seven, eight years old, I knew it was wrong. But I was six, seven, eight-year-old. I didn't have the wherewithal to express or articulate that. And I grew up in an era where... Um, absolute authority parenting was more of the norm. And so me speaking out against that, I, you can imagine how, that, how well that went. Yeah. Um, it did not go well. And also I was very, very different from my parents. Just naturally, I have, I have different value set than my parents. Um, I am an extroverted extrovert, which is, they find wildly embarrassing. Um, they're far more introverted and um, collected, reserved, and so you get this extroverted black sheep mm-hmm. in the family um, trying to rebel against what I inherently knew was wrong against people, against, okay, that never works, against people who truly felt they were doing the very best, that right. they, and they were doing the very best that they could, even though it, it was, there was parts of it that were, that were wrong. They were toxic and wrong. Um, it... It just, um, I, I was just so angry. And so um, also I grew up in a lot of negative messaging. Um, essentially, there was one mode that was accepted. It was very conditional love in my house and that was perfect. Mm-hmm. So I mean, perfect weight, body weight. I, I was, I'm not going to get into the names. I was called um, a lot, but fat was one of them often. And I was about this big, about as mm-hmm. big as my finger. Um, so of course, puberty, that went really well because I gained weight. So, um, you know, every time I'd go to open the fridge, uh, my mom would call me piggy and just, it's just constant, incessant, negative messaging, stupid, lazy, a a whole litany of things. Um, and so it eventually is stuck. Mm -hmm. I eventually, even though I felt angry against it and I knew I didn't like it, um, that's how our brains are wired. And I started to believe it. I started to believe it. And so I couldn't speak to my mom without yelling at her, which was awful. Because I couldn't hear what was coming out of her mouth. I, I didn't I didn't know how to stop it. And so mm-hmm. I would yell. I would I would I would yell horrible things just to shut her down, just to stop the words from coming out, which was so awful. Um, and I started to internalize all that messaging until I literally hated every cell in my body. I hated every word I said. I hated I, I remember sitting in the vice principal's office because I was skipping a whole lot of school at the time. And I remember just even in, in my peripheral vision, seeing my thighs and hating, like just being a, you're a fat pig. Like there's no amount right here right now to describe the level of self-loathing 
that I had until, um, and I couldn't starve myself enough to be thin enough to feel loved. There was nothing I could do to create positivity, to create a safe and loving place. And so um, I decided I couldn't take it anymore until I, I attempted suicide. And in my grade 11 year, about February, my grade 11 year, unfortunately, that did not work. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely, yeah. fortunately. Um, the, <laughs> the amount of pain that you're expressing, though, I feel... I mean, I think people might listen and go, wow, that's extreme. And I'm thinking that actually is not extreme at all. And I think that's why we do what we do, because we know, (laughs) because we talk to them, we know so many teens are feeling the same way. And the what they're hearing from their parents are similar messages. And parents don't intend to give those messages. They don't know they're giving those messages. They believe that they're saying the right things to help their kids. They're not getting that what their kids are feeling. And so these, when kids act out, when they're defiant, when they're like you were saying, it's not because you're this bratty kid. It's because you're this hurting pain in pain kid. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, and this is, I think it's really hard to explain then for people to flip that view because we get to the point where they're, they're bad, they're lazy, they're doing this. We get on them more and more and more. And we're just ingraining that negative self hatred um, rather than helping. So now that you're on the other side of it, what can you tell parents? Like, what are some of the, the biggest mistakes maybe that you see parents making that we're completely unaware we're making? Mm, That's a great question. I just want to go back to something that you said, because that really was interesting that you said that people hearing this may think, oh, that's like really extreme though. So, you know, I'm not doing that to my team. So it's obviously more of an issue with my team. So I just want to say something I was an award-winning athletic student and academic student. Okay. The teachers loved me until I, until I finally started like one year, I finally started skipping school and being a complete and royal arse just because I didn't know how to deal with life. Um, So I wasn't, um, you know, I kept my room clean. I did my chores. I I did everything else. Um, So I I just need to fill in those gaps in the story because I, I wasn't, um, yes. Was I sneaking out at night? Yes. Was I drinking with friends? Yes. Did I get arrested? No. Did I still know limits? Yes. Like I didn't drink and drive. I didn't, you know, so mm, be, just let's be careful that story we're painting because my point in this is that feelings are not up for judgment. So whether you think my story is extreme and your teen is obviously like far gone, or there's something more significant wrong. Your teen may also be an empath as I was, mm-hmm. or I am, a very, very sensitive. That does not mean they are attention-seeking, dramatic, or oversensitive. Please. It means that the way they hear you is far more sensitive than what you are intending. That does not mean that they are genetically flawed or inherently wrong, because feelings, again, are not up for judgment. So if your teenager is perceiving that they are conditionally loved or criticized or judged, that is their truth. Mm-hmm. 
And arguing that is irrelevant. Mm -hmm. It doesn't make you right, doesn't make them wrong, or vice versa. It just is. It's a point of conversation. So I want to move to that. That's so then, really important. Thank you. Thank you um, for calling attention to that too. I think that's really key. Yeah. Well, what you said was really powerful when you said, you know, people will might listen to this and think this is a really extreme case. And I thought, oh, that's that's a really great point. Um, because really that's what I that's I think why I can relate to teens is because I did live on that extreme end. And I also was not born anxious. I, I was, I was a happy, I loved myself. Mm -hmm. I remember I was very confident. Great. And now I deal with anxiety, significant yeah. anxiety um, because of all of that on a daily basis. So um, your question was what can parents do? What are parent? what are some common mistakes parents make that we don't realize we're making? Oh gosh. Oh gosh. Yes. So I'm going to say the first one is comparison. So comparison is the softer but backside of criticism. And criticism is one of the four most toxic communication styles. So comparison sounds like, well, your sister didn't have this problem. Well, Jane's daughter, she's not doing this. Well, Joe, your best friend, like he's not struggling. What are, what are you doing? So all of these little kind of backhanded comments mm -hmm. um, just meant as statements our brains are always comparing okay it is how our brains actually live in the world we are judging machines the problem is when those little comparison statements come out it is a backhanded version of criticism mm -hmm. which is toxic and your teenager hears you're not good enough you're not good enough you're not good enough you're a failure you're not good enough so that's number one is those it's just little subtle comments like that um i would say the second is um, who, and this one is hard, okay, because I'm a parent of, of, of two boys as well. And when we take parenting, when we take it really personally mm -hmm. from our team, now oh, I'm cautious to say that because, oh, heaven knows, there's no way to not take it all personally, yeah. okay? Like that's just impossible. It's impossible. Um, I think. I think because of the way that you, that at least I was raised under a very controlling, absolute authority parenting, which is very normal for previous parenting generations. Um, my impression of how to parent is that I am to control and mold this child. Mm -hmm. So just having that story, which is normal to have, I don't know why I, the, I that's what I had. I don't know about you. Um, it builds a, it's like, you know, that expanding foam that, that you put mm -hmm. like around windows. Okay. Okay. So it builds like I have a container. This is the container. And this, my teenager is the expanding foam and they're going in there and then they're, they're, and they're like expanding in ways. And I'm like, no, you must stay in the container. This mm -hmm. is my job as the parent stay in the container. And they're like expanding and then they're spilling out corners. I'm like, no, no, you can't do that. That's wrong. You should. No, and it's like okay, just stop. Yeah. But yes, and and I did a, I do a webinar on this because it's so difficult as parents. We're lulled into that same sense of security for the first eight to ten years of our child's life. So then, why wouldn't it be the same in the next ten years? And so that's where I think as parents we get set up to fail a little bit mm -hmm. because nobody tells us this. No one tells us that the first eight to 10 years, which are highly 
um, management oriented. It's, you know, it's very much about teach, you're teaching you're your child's everything. You're teaching yeah. them language, food, how to eat, how to go to the bathroom, how to talk to friends, how to everything. And then that pituitary gland starts to uh, expand in their brain. And all of a sudden we move from what we knew, which reflects absolute authority parenting because it's a version of control for the first eight to 10 years, then all of a sudden we have a tween or a teen who has no place for that level of control, nor are they meant to. But we have been lulled into, this is normal. I like this version of parenting. I'm in charge of everything they do. And I like it. I have a say in everything. They come ask me everything. I like it. And now all of a sudden they're a teenager. And I think it's, it's really unfortunate. No one is telling parents, oh yeah, that first eight to 10 years, I hope you enjoy and like it. That's great. But, but please understand the day will come when it is not like that anymore yeah. and that you must let go and not letting go will be the most painful thing for you and your teenager. Yeah. So that's, it's like, that's more like a mindset thing than, than it is a, but gosh, nobody tells us this. And then we wonder why it is so hard. So the other thing is, um, you know, is expectations, right? Like expectations that you, you, my teen, of course, are going to be the way I want you to be. And you're going to like the things I like. And you're going to, you know, and no one tells us this either. Just because we birth or raise them does not mean they're going to have the same values or belief system that we do. Ouch. Where was that in the small print? Yeah. Like that's painful. And being how to be with that, that teenagers don't learn by lecturing they don't learn anything by lecturing what you know no i know i'm sorry i'm sorry (laughs) teenagers learn by being listened to that seems a little counterintuitive given that i'm supposed to not say anything and the teenager learns but yes that's actually what's happening because when they're talking they are processing and developing all this critical thought Mm -hmm. um analytical you know how to develop their own software right so when teenagers learn by being listened to teenagers don't learn by being lectured to no where did anybody else tell us that yeah you know and and i'll go back to again that feelings are not up for judgment and parents because we so desperately want to help our children that when we see them struggle we want to fix them And so in the process of trying to fix, which is a giant word for invalidate, we invalidate all of our teenagers' feelings without meaning to. Because it, like, hi, it breaks our heart when they're they're hurting. So instead of listening and validating our feelings, we jump in to fix because we don't know what to do with our own level of discomfort because nobody taught us that. Um, you know, so there's that. And then there's this whole motivation thing, which is just another version of fixing and and invalidating. Um, you can't motivate your teenagers to stop trying, um, stop trying to make them be like something that you want them to be because every single time that message is you're a failure, not just you're failing my expectations, but you are a failure. You're lazy. You're incapable. You must not be smart enough to figure it out yourself. All these little things. So I, I know that's a long ramble, but that's really um, those are the things I think that we talk about often with parents. And I want to say again, this is not about parents not being wildly intelligent, deeply caring people. This is that no one is teaching this. Yeah. So, so I am, I, I, I am raising my hand for the imperfect parenting club 
Um, and I think it's why you and I are so passionate about doing this work. It's not because there's bad parents. It's because nobody is, where is the class that you're supposed to go and learn it? Right. They're not. So hearing all this, and I'm going to, I'm going to respond in a way that I have parents responding to me when we go through a lot of this, it's Mm -hmm. this kind of, um, you know, disbelief and like, okay, so you're saying I should just let my teen do whatever the hell they want. So just Mm. let them be, just let them be rude, let them be lazy, let them do, like, just let them. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's kind of that other like swing. So yes, tell parents when that, yeah, I'm guessing parents (laughs) say similar things to you. Uh, yeah, and I, and I love that because I get those kind of comments on TikTok and things too. Is that, you know, when I'm talking about getting allowing teenagers to have feelings, I get the oh, so that's it. You have nothing. I'm like, no, 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 no. What if there was a middle ground? What what if? But but I understand yeah. why parents don't understand that. And again, yeah. I put myself in that boat. Yeah. I was raised in absolute authority. So when I don't speak absolute authority to you, you probably are making up a story that I'm talking about complete right. laissez-faire with no, no rules at all. So of course, that would make sense. Yeah. Actually, no, I'm talking about a middle ground. I believe wildly in boundaries. Um, I believe structure is safety. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't matter what kind of personality type teenager you have, introverted, extroverted, expressive, thinking, talker, listener, it doesn't matter. Structure is safety. Now, as a teenager, though, a little bit less structure, because they're developing that independent thought, critical thinking and need for independent decision making, which comes out often as lying and things like that. <clears throat> so what I'm talking about is have boundaries, but here's the problem because we weren't raised with boundaries. We don't have a freaking clue what they are. Boundaries are not control and compliance. That is an expectation mm-hmm. that is projecting how I want to feel on someone else. So you need to be this way, act this way, say these things so I can feel the way I want to feel. That's an expectation. A boundary is I love and respect myself enough to say what works for me and what doesn't because I also love and respect you and I want a relationship with you. Now, do teenagers care a whole heck of a lot about that some days? Heck no, they sure don't. So a boundary sometimes needs to be restated and restated and restated. Now, does that mean I'm being really tolerant? Maybe, I don't know. Boundaries require consequences. Does every boundary breaker require a consequence? No. Relationships are not a physics equation. For every action, there does not need to be an equal and opposite reaction. So many parents ask me, well, they did this. I've got to have a consequence. They did this. I got to have a consequence. No, you don't. Do you know what the best thing you can do is? Is have a conversation. Have a conversation. Tell them how you feel about what happened. I feel really hurt. I feel disrespected about said situation. This is what I, this is what I was hoping would happen. This, this is what I think happened. Help me to understand. Those are the best words, right? Help me to understand. Listen, listen to what their perspective. How were they feeling? What were they thinking? What did they, did they consider the consequence? Cause teenagers brains don't always consider the consequence. And then what could you have done differently next time? There may, okay. So that's the conversation. 
you still may require a consequence. I love you. And we were pretty clear about this boundary. So this is, this is, or you could say to them, what do you think is an appropriate consequence? Um, but a consequence isn't always required if the conversation you feel went well. Yeah. If the conversation keeps being repeated like a hamster wheel, then you need a consequence. And the consequence is often what a teenager would choose is better than what we would choose. So ask them and then enforce and sorry, I got to turn that alarm off Enforce and then hold the consequence. But here's what that looks like. Love them through it. Mm-hmm. The consequence is an opportunity for you to connect with your team to perhaps let, I always use the example of doing the dishes every night for a week. If they do the dishes every night for a week, do you think they're going to like it? Pfft, no you get to dry the dishes Mm -hmm. and you get to love them through it. And you not by ever repeating what the transgression was, let it go. Because if you bring that up again, that's shaming. So in the consequence, you love them through it. You dry the dishes and you're like, dude, I know you hate this, but you're doing a really good job. And you're like, oh, sorry, that's not quite clean. Do you want to go back? And they're like, meh. You're like, look, if you put the scrub brush in this way and you, it actually gets a cleaner teaching moment, loving them, loving them in their grumpiness in the consequence. You give them a hug after if that's their love language. And you're like, look, I know you hate this and and you're doing great. And the only time that comes up again is just to say in, let's say another consequence, you're like, look, remember when you had to wash the dishes for a week, you hated it, but you did a great job. So I know you can do this one too. Mm -hmm. Not bringing up the transgression. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) you, we've got to have these structural boundaries. Yes, teenagers need feelings. Yes, they're going to be raw and unfiltered. Mm-hmm. But I am not a fan, and I do not believe in tolerating disrespect. No. Are teenagers going to be disrespectful? Yes. And do I need to pick a f- climb every mountain? No. But it, but there, there is a line, and and uh, that unfortunately is very difficult for our generation. I believe of parents to understand because it's not how we were raised, and we do not truly understand what boundaries are. So Yeah, it, it is very difficult. And I, I know um, just explaining the difference between consequences and punishment, I get a lot of puzzled looks. And I, I keep yes. figuring out, like, how do I explain the difference? And I think one of the things you just said, I think really kind of resonated with me is you love them through it. And mm. I think one of the big differences between the punishments, which don't work because they are shaming. They're more of a tit for tat. You did something to me. I'm doing something to you worse. It's about holding power and control over them and, you know, making them squirm. And that's not solving the issue, right? In fact, it's usually enhancing the very reason they got in trouble to begin with. And so now you're just making things worse. A consequence is pre-delivered. So they know ahead of time what it is. It is a set like this is what's going to happen, natural or best, right? This is what's well, going to happen. Well, and sometimes it's sometimes it's not set, right? Because sometimes we we can't have known every situation. Well, that's a good point, right? So sometimes, but I'm sure they're not clueless. That's There's going to be one, right? That's <laughs> true. But it's not. It's it's more matter of fact. It's not anger based. It's not you know, like this mm. shaming, look what it's you did. It's not a retaliation. Ex- it's not a retaliation. retaliation. That's a great word. It's not a retaliation. Punishments are typically retaliation. The, um, yes. And that's so true. And they are, you're right. It's kind of a tit for tat. It's, um, it's a equal to scale. And to your point, not only do they often escalate 
why the initial behavior happened anyway. In my experience, they seeded emotions that had nothing to do with, like when I was sneaking out, like I I snuck all all the time. I had a pension for freedom. Usually I was just hanging out at the elementary school with my friends, wasn't drinking, wasn't doing drugs. I just loved freedom. Yeah. Um, And so it didn't make it right. I was still lying. Um, But the, the punishment that came for that, because punishment is shaming, Mm -hmm. I then felt something that was fun and, and fairly safe and, and, you know, calculated, very calculated on my part. I used to sit in my room and like morally go over what I was going to do. It it then seeded feelings of so much resentment. Um, How this is what I need parents to hear. Punishment seeds feelings of hopelessness and powerlessness, which because those are on the receiving end of control. And over time, those build rage. Mm -hmm. Now, that is something that was a work I did not realize until I was, I already had kids and I was in my 30s before I understood the difference between anger and rage. Mm. I used to avoid anger because as a highly feeling person, I found it very overwhelming. I'm very expressive as well. I would literally shake in every cell of my body. And I thought this feels dangerous and I don't want to hurt anyone. So I wouldn't do it because what I didn't understand is that was triggering my, my previous experience of I'm powerless and this is hopeless. So I'd go to rage. And so that's what I want to be careful. If you're going to do punishment with your kids out of the need to control and you're let's say 16 year old rather six foot three ish teenage boy although not always a boy just using that as an example comes at you with a little piece of rage it doesn't mean they have an anger management problem they're responding to a feeling of hopelessness and powerlessness which is rage yeah that's a really really good point and i think that that's the other thing that you you're drawing on too and I always remind or try to tell parents too is that the behavior is not the problem it's the symptom and so when we only try to shut down the behavior we're making the problem worse rather than better and so the behavior is not going to go anywhere it's just going to get worse or manifest somewhere else because we're not dealing with the issue of why that behavior exists yeah. And, and this is where exactly what you just said, I feel such deep compassion for parents because they're doing what their parents yeah, did, which was did. only deal with the behavior. Yeah. When were you and I ever taught how to sit down and have a conversation to unfold emotions? When were we ever taught that? We weren't. Mm-mm. And so I just feel like parenting right now is so hard because our teenagers are being raised in a more and more emotionally based world and we were never taught how to oh let's sit and unfold these emotions we were just told how to deal with the behavior and then our teenagers are expecting and need even more and more emotional presence and so it feels like the gap you know so it's harder to be a teenager and it's harder to be a parent and I feel deep compassion for parents because um that class is just still believe it or not it's still not being taught um on how 
what does that even mean to sit down and deal with emotions and not the behavior? Like, what are you even talking? It's no wonder parents think we're partly crazy in what we're talking about. Why wouldn't they? Yeah, it's true. Because it's for some people, it is completely out of left field. It's like, and we, and I'm glad you said that because I think we forget, I forget that a lot because I live it every day (laughs) and I've been doing it for years and years and years and years, right? So it's like Mm -hmm. becomes more natural and more, I guess, obvious, um, which is a good lesson because I think that as parents, we often think things are obvious to our teens and get frustrated with them for not getting it. And I'm living that right now where I can't get frustrated (laughs) because parents aren't getting it because it's not obvious to everyone. So it's Lesson. not. And I, yeah. And I would, I would also set a caveat to that, that for dads, if there's any dads listening, or if you're a mom listening, a wife listening and your, and your husband struggles with this, we have done, oh, we have done such a disservice to boys who are now men who are now dads because they are not given the same luxury, the same right to emotional development, emotional intelligence, and effective emotional expression. And then we wonder why dads doing their darndest to love their teenagers do it in a way that their dads, which was completely emotionally detached and also um, control and authority, when we're not giving boys the same right, the same human right to emotional intelligence development. So, and, and then we, we wonder why some, some fathers are having such a hard time connecting to their sons. Again, please hear me. I do not think you lack in intelligence. I don't think you lack in humanity. This, that so many dads right now, although I do put, I think we're all responsible for how we, we be in the world and our impact in relationships, boy, uh, there's a whole generation or two or six of dads that are a product of our culture. And I, as a mom of two boys, I'm doing everything I can to change that. Yeah. I I think that's really important to you to realize that I think what we think as a lot of times as that's just nature, that's the way it is, is actual cultural programming that we've been, we have been programmed. And I think that's, you know, we're talking about um, some things that are so amazing about teens. And one of them is they see the world without all of these constructs and walls and things that we've built and we can't see over anymore. And so they question so much and it upsets us because we've accepted it as just as is. And when they question it, it, it <laughs> shatters. It's like, what, how can you question that? It just is. And they're, they're not, they're not st- stuck in that mm-hmm. space. And I think it, it's scary, but it's also f- amazing and fascinating to learn from that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah, so I just want to say for any of the moms listening out there, if you're you know, I, I get a lot of parents, moms who write me saying that their their husband is having some real um, um, challenges in expressing anger and their teen daughter is affected, et cetera, et cetera, that there's nothing wrong with your husband and then yeah. he's probably an amazing dad. He is a product of our culture. Mm-hmm. He is responsible if he chooses to learn differently. Um, but it's a wildly unfortunate version of that it showing is. up. Yeah. It is. 
So I want to be respectful of your time and your ability to, you know, camp and get back (laughs) with nature. So Ali, tell us how people can find you. Um, Because you have so Mm. much wisdom and and great information and help for people. Mm, Thank you. Um, Yeah, you can find me on Instagram at Allie Payne, A-L-Y-P-A-I-N. That is, spell it like it feels, ouch. And, uh, or TikTok at Ali Payne. Although Instagram is probably the best way because you can DM me. Um, I do have a Facebook page. It's just really long. It's uh, something like at Ali Payne, straight talk, fierce love. Um, so just go to my Instagram at Allie Payne and you'll, you can find me there. There's a link in my bio that has, um, everything you'll need, uh, all my latest blogs and articles and free stuff and all that kind of stuff. You can also find me on my website at, uh, which is not at it's, uh, Perfect. And I, I just want to throw in there that if you are on TikTok, you have to follow Allie. Her TikToks are <laughs> awesome and wonderful and very quick, but to the point, I love your TikToks. Um, and my daughter watches them now too. She's like, mom, look, it's Allie. And she gets all excited because she's like, I know her. Like over. But um, so it's just funny. So it's, they're, they're really good. So um, what are your parting words of encouragement? You've already provided a lot. But any parting words of encouragement for parents with their teenagers? Uh, yeah, I'd say three things. It is hard. Um it is hard like heart-wrenching crying on your bathroom floor maybe with a glass of wine staying up all night wringing your hands stress like you've never known hard that's number one number two you're not alone you are not alone you are a part of a group of parents an entire generation of parents anywhere that you fall really within a 20-year spectrum who was often raised the way that is not the way that our teenagers are expecting from us or needing from us. And it is very difficult for us to understand sometimes what that looks like. And it creates even more challenge, even though I would never question how much you love your teenager, how hard you're trying and you're doing everything that you can. So you're not alone. And number three is I believe in you. Mm. I believe in you. I, I know that change is possible because I see it in my work every single day. And I'm not saying it's going to be easy, but I'll walk with you. So I believe in you. I love that. Oh my gosh, Ali. Thank you. And I'm just so grateful you could join us today, especially, you know, I know. So fun. <laughs> I know. I know. It's just like, it's like, it's early. It's in the middle of nature. So I can't tell you how appreciative I am that you joined me. And I've been waiting for this conversation for so long too. So I'm glad we finally were able to do it. Absolutely. Well, I just, I love being able to collaborate with you and I'm just so grateful that we found each other on Instagram and are able to have this, you know, relationship until at some point you can come visit me because you will. Yes, I do. You got to bring your daughter. Oh, Um, like I could travel without her. And just for people too, like Ali and I are actually, we um, collaborate on Clubhouse. So we do a Clubhouse room every Wednesday together. We are on um, Friday mornings. We actually found on Clubhouse and Instagram, we collected and found like this allied group of people that are as passionate as we are, which is just, yeah, it's crazy. Like during this pandemic, we created this little group. It was really fun. So we're on in some mix or format on Clubhouse 
every day. And Ali, you actually started our club for us, which is parenting teen slash help. So if you have any, if you're on Clubhouse at all, come find us. Oh my gosh, so much free. We do this every week. We just talk like this and share and people come up and ask questions and it's super, super cool. So I wanted to throw that out there too. So parents, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day to spend with us. If you want to learn more about how to connect with your teen and calm the drama, be sure to join me on Tuesdays for the Parenting Teens Power Hour. I have an incredible lineup of experts like Allie ready to share their best tips and secrets, and it's free. You can register at askdrcam.com slash power hour, and I'll put the links in the show notes along with all the links on how to contact Allie as well. Also, If you enjoyed this episode and all the amazing nuggets that Allie shared with us, please take a moment to rate and review. This helps parents like you find the show and feel free to share it with a friend too. Have a peaceful, peaceful, positive, calm day. And that's a wrap. Thanks for joining me today on Parenting Teens with Dr. Cam. Make sure to visit my website, www.askdrcam.com, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, or via RSS, so you'll never miss a show again. While you're at it, if you found value in this episode, I'd appreciate a rating on iTunes, and hey, why not share it with a friend too? Be sure to tune in to my next episode. And remember, parenting teens may not be easy, but with my help, it can be a whole lot easier than this.